Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer here with JJ Cooper, here to break down an instant classic NLDS game five, Dodgers two, Giants one, tension, drama, anything and everything we could have wanted. This was a game that had tremendous hype going in, absolutely lived up to it. JJ, you stayed up late for this one, well past midnight on the East Coast, was definitely worth it. What were your overall thoughts and takeaways from this game? That was an easy game to stay up for. Like, there are games that are important, that are vital, and I felt like at, at 12.30 in the evening, I'm like, or in the morning, I'm dragging, and I'm like, come on, I want this to be over, even if it's important and great and all that. I wanted extra innings last night. I would have happily stayed up till 3 in the morning because that game was not just so good, but it had a pace to it. Nothing was internal about it. There was drama feelingly, seemingly every inning. That was, a, that was one of those games where I had trouble falling asleep afterwards, not because I had insomnia, but just because how do you turn the switch off right after a game that good? That was everything I hoped. The deciding game five between the two best teams in baseball this year, if you look at it by record, it was everything you could hope for, including Max Scherzer, who I went back and looked. I, he's, he was not – the last time that he was a reliever of reality was his rookie year in the big leagues. But they have used him at times throughout his career. In the postseason, there have been times where he's come in. He often was not good in those situations. Now, it was generally not come in to get one inning. It was one to two innings usually. But before last night, he had four games where he'd entered as a reliever in the postseason, and he'd given up runs in three of them. And last night, he was really good. There was an error that puts a runner on. I will, if you said, I, we'll talk about the check swing, I'm sure. If, if you said, what memory will I will stick in my head from this game? It'll be Max Scherzer versus Lamont Wade which I felt like was the at-bat of the game. You have late-night Lamont versus the, the Dodgers' hired gun. And the thing that just stood out to me about that at-bat, they mentioned it on the broadcast. I thought it was a good job of mentioning it. Max Scherzer threw those two fastballs 
in off the plate and Wade was on him, if either of them just has a little bit of run, just a little bit, and catches the just the corner of the strike zone, that's a home run. But Max Scherzer located them at the spot he needed to, which then set up that weird breaking ball. I don't know how Lamont Wade can be on an inside fastball. The best hope for that pitch was is that you throw the bat at it, slap it away, foul, and try to reset it for another pitch. But that's what I that's the part that stands out to me. Kyle, what about for you? What what was the what is the memory that will stick with you from that game last night? Yeah, there's a lot of them. I think first and foremost, and I know you want to talk a little bit about the strategy, the Dodgers using an opener. Generally speaking, I'm less a fan of that setup. Uh, a lot of people were very big fans of it. I, I think really the biggest thing, though, we could talk about strategy as much as we want, and it absolutely has an effect on the game. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the players executing. And I thought Corey Knebel and Brewster Gratterall did a fantastic job of going out there in the biggest game of the season, asked to do something they had not done all year, put in an unfamiliar situation. They got the job done. Julio Urias came in. Again, we'd seen him come out of the bullpen in the postseason, but it had been a year. It's like he hadn't done it a year. He came out, did a great job, made one mistake. Darren Ruff got him, but... I just thought all the way around, the Dodgers pitching staff did a really, really, really good job. I mean, Trident, Jansen, all of them were absolutely disgusting. I mean, Trident has been so good this year. His slider has been one of the sickest pitches in baseball. Oh, by the way, with a disgusting sinker. I mean, overall, the Dodgers in this game, just reading read off the total stat line, nine innings, six hits, one run, no walks, 13 strikeouts. The Dodgers held the Giants to 10 runs in five games. This was one of the best offenses in baseball. And, you know, as we talk about the check swing and Wilmer Flores, and obviously that's not the way you want that game to end. But Gabe Kapler talked about it in the postgame press conference where he just said, you know, Obviously, it's unfortunate, but that's not why we lost this game. That's not why we lost this series. And I don't think it's as much, oh, the Giants hitters did a bad job. The Dodgers pitching staff just did a great job all series long. I mean, really, after game one, I mean, they just shut this Giants offense down. And last night was another chapter of that. The, the other thing with that is, is, yeah, the check swing, we could – I don't even really feel the need. Like, that's been discussed everywhere. Like – the reality of it is, let's say that that's that the first base ump says no, he didn't go. It's still Wilmer Flores with two strikes against Max Scherzer. It's another opportunity. Maybe something happens out of it, but the reality of it is, is that I wish I hate that that was the anticlimactic way that that game ended. I didn't like Wilmer Flores' chances there of of extending that game. It could happen, absolutely. It, but, yeah, I do – I agree with you on both sides. That was not a game where you saw a lot of tight hitters putting together bad at-bats. That was – Logan Webb as well. That was great pitching dominating a game on both sides where both teams, other than Mookie Betts, who basically – Mookie Betts was existing on another plane in that game where it's like, oh, no big deal. This is BP. Hit. Hit, hit, hit. But other than him, everyone else in that game was just fight as a hitter, was generally fighting to survive because the pitching was that good. Blake Trinan, those weren't Frisbee sliders. You hear about Frisbee sliders? 
Now, Frisbees don't move like that. If you want to say, I really, that was a wiffle ball slider. That was where you throw it, and all of a sudden, just before the plate, it dives into a different area code. And that's one of those things where you go, I, I don't even know how you do that. You know, but, but that was almost the one pitcher who didn't feel like have every bit of it was, I, I want to kind of set you up for this because you've seen Cody Bellinger all year. Camilio Duvall clearly did not trust his fastball last night. I can't imagine going into this that their scouting report was, Duvall, you know, was that Duvall, we don't want you to throw your fastball, especially Cody Bellinger, the scouting report is out there. Premium velocity, which Duvall has, is the thing that Cody Bellinger struggled with all year. That said, Duvall clearly throughout that inning did not have confidence that he, he could, as you often see, we talk about command. Command, there are a lot of guys who will command their slider or their breaking ball better than they command their fastball. That was absolutely positively the case, I feel like, with Duvall last night. But you can't help but think that that played right into the Dodgers' hand because if you're Cody Bellinger, the thing you wanted was, please give me a slider, right? Well, in fairness, Cody Bellinger hadn't really hit anything well this year, fastballs or sliders, but you're right. There's a lot here where Camilo Duvall, his fastball, he just did not have it this inning. You know, he threw three straight sliders to – or four straight sliders, excuse me, to Will Smith to lead off the inning. First fastball he threw hit Justin Turner against Gavin Lux. Again, a fastball is what he gave up the hit on. It, it was very, very clear. And even that, he started Gavin Lux out with a lot of sliders. So the only two fastballs he actually threw in the entire inning resulted in a hit batter and a base hit. So it's tough because on the one hand, if something's clearly not working for you on this night, you don't want to lean on it. I think, yes, you can say they didn't do the right thing, but if that's what the pitcher has, that's what the pitcher has. And on the season, Cody Bellinger's whiff percentage on breaking stuff was actually higher than it was on fastballs. So, I mean, again, either way, I think this is a case of Cody Bellinger has been not good all season. There's no secret about it. His swing has been off. Some of it, how much of it's injury, how much of it has been approached. I mean, Dave Roberts has been blunt about it. There's been way too many times he's swinging for the fences and his swing is all jacked up because of it. We've started to see better swings from Bellinger this postseason. Most importantly, better takes from Bellinger this postseason. He did strike out twice last night, but the quality of his at-bats has just gotten so, 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 so much better. And in the biggest moment last night, he came through. And if Cody Bellinger is right, that just adds a whole new dynamic to the Dodgers offense. We've seen when he's right, I mean, he's an MVP caliber performer. All of a sudden, if he starts swinging the bat well, we've seen Gavin Lux start to swing the bat well. Again, he had that big hit last night to score the winning run. This Dodgers offense, it feels like, might be getting even better than it has been all season with these two starting to find their form, which is a very, very scary thought for whoever faces them moving forward. Okay, now I do want to touch on at least the the other the the pregame aspect that was the big topic going into last night's game, which is the Dodgers went with the opener. And I, the, the thing that just strikes me, the only thing I just want to hit on with it, you know, there are human dynamics to this, as you said, credit to to the the Dodgers relievers, you know, who became the openers, credit to Urias for basically stepping in in the third inning and like it was no big deal and just shoving as he did. 
But the thing that does strike me is, is when we talk about hearing the commentary going into the game, the, 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 the downside of it is, is that you're putting guys on the Dodgers into uncomfortable situations. But what also does stand out to me is, is it did what they wanted to do of putting the Giants in an uncomfortable situation. The Giants are a team that is pretty platoon heavy with a couple of positions. And what struck me is, I think I can reconstruct that the reason that the Dodgers got Max Scherzer versus Wilmer Flores with the game on the line with two outs in the ninth is because they went with not just one, but two relievers before they, they, they handed the ball to effectively their starter, their bulk inning guy last night. And who are yours? And that is because, okay, so in game two, when they died, when the Giants knew they were facing a lefty, it was, we're going to start Austin Slater and we're going to start, you know, Yastrzemski and Wade are left-handed batters. Parts of opportunity are on the bench. Well, because the Giants knew that they were facing a right-hander to start it, so they start Yastrzemski, they have Slater and Wade on the bench. And then as soon as Urias comes in, out goes Yastrzemski, in comes Slater. Like, take that to the ninth inning. If the Dodgers had gone the traditional way, likely what would it have meant is, is Slater would have started the game, Yastrzemski would have replaced him. Well, that would have meant that when Lamont Wade pinch hit for Slater in the ninth, they would instead have been Mike Yastrzemski up in that situation. Yastrzemski didn't have a great year, but that would be your lefty Yastrzemski, who's a better hitter than Wilmer Flores, facing Scherzer. So you, you, you have him the matchup you want. And then that would have meant that Lamont Wade, also a lefty, would have faced Scherzer rather than the game coming down to right on right, Max Scherzer versus Wilmer Flores. It's not, there was no guarantee that that was what was going to happen when this started. But it does just strike me that at the end of the day, the Dodgers being a little cute about it, you could say, but it did get them effectively exactly the matchup they wanted because at the point with the tying run on base, the winning run at the plate in the ninth inning, the giant season came down to where they really didn't have a good option. It's nothing against Wilmer Flores. He's in there because Brandon belt is hurt. That's not his fault. That's not the giants fault. Brandon belt got hurt but there really wasn't another pinch hitting option. And that's because the Dodgers had forced the giants to burn effectively one of their two premium left-handed hitters earlier in the situation, earlier in the game. So JJ moving forward, the giants won 107 games this year, had a remarkable season in so many ways, but they do have some very important players who are about to hit free agency, Brandon Bell, Chris Bryant, Kevin Gossman, Anthony Desclafani, Donovan Solano, who's been huge for them, Alex Wood. All these guys are free agents. Where do the Giants go from here? What's next? Because we've seen this team rise up our farm system rankings. They currently have the number five farm system in baseball. However, the bulk of that farm system is in the lower levels still. A lot of these guys were in low A and high this year. There are some guys in the upper levels, Joey Bart, Elliot Ramos. But for the most part, the biggest group of talent is in the lower levels still. With all these free agents and some of those top prospects still two, three years away, what's next for the Giants? That is a fascinating 
and I, a, an almost, I feel like an unanswerable question at this point, because, okay, they're going to have a lot of money. One thing that does stand out with all those guys, these aren't young players who are starting to be expensive. These are guys who were expensive this year and are going to be, in many cases, more expensive. Kevin Gossman will be more expensive to retain. He earned himself a lot of money this year. But the question I think kind of comes back to, and I don't know the answer to this, but how much of this is the Giants say, do the Giants try to bring back these guys because they were so good? Or do the Giants say, we were able, because of our coaching development, environment, whatever you want to say, we were able to maximize the talents of many of our players this year. Donovan Solano, as you mentioned, who was very good for them this year. Donovan Solano, when the Giants acquired him, is the kind of player who is not hard to acquire. Kevin Gossman, to some extent, Alex Wood, these were not premium. These were not the guys who you, okay, we're going to have to outbid 10 teams to land this guy. Do the Giants, I know that they're going to spend money. The Giants spend money. They have a lot of money to spend. But do the Giants try to bring this team, which is a, an older team, do they try to bring much of this team back? I think in some cases they probably do. I think that there are guys from this group that you say, no, we're going to try to retain them. But do they also say how much of this is, and I don't have the answer to this, but how much of this is they say, okay, we need to find next year's Donovan Solano. We need to develop next year's Mike Kostremski, next year's Darren Ruff. Next year's – these are guys where the Giants' success this year came out of the blue to some extent because they did such a good job of developing underappreciated, lower-cost talent and, and help them develop into players who are just simply better than we expected them to be. So how much going forward is this going to be a situation where they say, okay, we're going to have to mix and match. Maybe we don't bring Kevin Gossman back, who's going to be on, you know, a very expensive. He's going to be one of the top guys on the starting pitching market in free agency. But can they develop next year's Kevin Gossman and Alex Wood? The good news they have is, is now they have Logan Webb as a clear front. Logan Webb goes into next year as a front of the rotation guy in a way that you couldn't feel confident coming into this year. That really does help. But what do you see? I mean, how do you, do you think they try to keep the gang together or do you think that they try to go out and find the new versions of the reclamation projects like they did this year? I think realistically, it's probably a little bit of both. I do think we'll see some of these guys back, but you're right. The biggest thing is going to be kind of rebuilding a pitching staff in the sense that you have Logan Webb. You're losing, at least in theory, Gossman, Desclafani, Wood. And if they choose not to exercise Cueto's option, then all of a sudden you're looking at finding four starting pitchers. That's going to be the biggest thing that I'm going to be watching for, how they go about building the starting rotation. But on the whole, the Giants, as you mentioned, this is a team with a lot of money, a lot of payroll room, and something tells me they'll figure it out, put together another competitive team, and continue to be a good team. You know, would you pick them to win 107 games again? I don't think you can do that for any team any given year, but this is a team that should be good moving forward into 2022, 2023. And then as this number five farm system, some of those guys matriculate and come up and become the standouts a lot of people think they become. 
I mean, all of a sudden the Giants are in really good shape moving forward. I don't think this will be a one-year fluke. I think this is a franchise that's in really good shape to continue being good for a long time. And again, a lot can happen. Injuries can happen. There have been a lot of teams you've looked at and said, oh, they're going to be great, and then something goes sideways. But at the very least, I think the expectation was the Giants will be good again at some point this decade. A lot of people just thought it would come when the prospects came up. And in reality, it happened with these veterans. And guess what? The prospects are still on their way. So if anything, I think the window of contention just extended. And uh, that's a testament to everyone involved, the front office, the coaching staff, the players. This was a remarkable year. I know it's obviously a disappointing ending, but the Giants have nothing to be ashamed about, nothing to be disappointed in. Uh, This was an incredible year, and they're in great shape moving forward. The the reality of it is, is that there is nothing, there are no sweeping things to take out of last night's game other than I think that these are the two best teams in baseball this year. The the 162-game season tells you a lot. These two teams were the best two teams in baseball. They're incredibly evenly matched. That game, I mean, there was a point going into the ninth inning where it's like, okay, the two teams have the same number of wins. It's game five, a do-or-die game. Both teams have one run. They have six hits. Essentially, they're even. Like, we went to the ninth inning, and by the smallest of margins, one team edged the other. By the, It could have absolutely a, – a sliding doors version of that is Max Scherzer's fastball catches another inch of – catches an inch of the plate, and late night Lamont – it's, uh, you know, that's a home run, and it's completely flipped. And we would be talking about the Dodgers right now, and the same thing, we should be saying the same thing, which is you sh- they're a great team. They lost by the smallest of margins. That is how narrow this was. So now one of the best, two best teams in baseball has lost, but that still leaves us with a team that we, I think, both think is probably the other best team in baseball this year. I, now we got to look at what that means going forward, Kyle. Yeah, we've got to preview the NLCS and ALCS. Uh, ALCS gets started today. First, let's take a quick break. All right, we are back. JJ, we've gotten through the division series. We've had a lot of great games already, and now we're getting into the real meat and potatoes of the postseason. The Final Four is upon us, the ALCS and the NLCS. ALCS kicks off tonight, Red Sox and Astros. I want to dive into the series and the strengths and weaknesses and our picks, but first and foremost, we do need to address just up front. These are two teams that have been penalized for stealing signs in the past, and it is part of their legacies. How do you look at these two franchises and that fact moving into this matchup? I guess at this point, and let me preface by saying throughout the playoffs, one of the enjoyable there are advantages and disadvantages of having a somewhat neutral view of all these teams. The advantages is I can enjoy games like last night. I can enjoy games like that Red Sox Rays game and not like Grant Brisby, who's really good, you know, had a piece up the athletic. He's, he came to this through, he's a Giants fan. And so he can understand the Giants pain in a way that I will not because I just wanted a great game last night. But my other thing with this is, is I am at this point, I don't know another way to put it. I'm just tired of it. Like, I, my fear of 
if the Dodgers win the National League, no matter if it's Dodgers Astros or it's Dodgers Red Sox, we are going to be subjected to way more looking back at sign stealing and all that that I really want to endure in 2021. I, if you said, do I have a rooting interest? There's a part of me that just wants the Braves in the World Series from the standpoint of we'd have a different topic of conversation as far as the, the national conversation about the World Series. I don't really, I don't feel the need to relitigate and live in what happened years, you know, multiple years before. I want to focus on this one. And again, I do think now there was a zoom in on, uh, on Will Smith's armband during, the, uh, during one of the Dodgers-Giants games. And the thing about it is, is every team now does, has implemented strategies for signals, for signs that they didn't a few years ago. Why? Because we, they know that they have to be extra cautious about these things. So I just really hope and want it to be a great series where we focus on great players much more so than uh, a series where we spend a whole lot of time talking about, oh, he's on second, and did he uh, scratch his nose twice before uh, you know touching the back of his cap? And well, if he does, if he does that, that's fine. That's not a problem. No. It's when you start using cameras and trash cans no, I know. and communicating it in real time. So, yeah, no. what's, what's your thought? What's your thought? Yeah, I mean, look, it happened. And I think people need to acknowledge that. And I think ignoring it's the wrong way to go about it. At the same time, these are two different teams with a lot of different players. There are some holdovers, the Astros from 2017, the Red Sox from the years they were found to have committed these infractions. But for the most part, it's very, very different teams. It's different managers and it's different front offices. These teams have changed a lot since these infractions took place. So I don't think it's entirely fair to hold it against the current groups of players on this team. And again, there are some holdovers. You know, the Astros look at Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, but the vast majority of the team has changed since 2017. So again, I think you acknowledge it, but I don't necessarily look at it as these guys are still cheaters. It's a different group of people in both cases. Mostly, I just want to pay attention to the games. They should be high-scoring games, I would imagine. We've got two great offenses, two pitching staffs that have some questions. The Astros particularly going to be without Lance McCullers. I do think the Astros, as much as you want to avoid the narrative that's going to happen if Astros-Dodgers is the World Series, they would be my pick in this series. And, you know, you had picked the Rays to reach the World Series out of the American League coming in. I had picked the White but Sox based on my preseason prediction. When I stack these two teams up, I think the Astros are just the best team still around in the American League. And that's not a knock on the Red Sox. This Astros team is really good. They won 95 games. They blew through the ALDS. And now they're facing a team whose starting pitching is kind of the question. And with that offense, I just see this as a pretty favorable matchup for the Astros, who also have home field and were great at home this year, 51 and 30. How do you see this series? The McCullers thing is what kind of shakes me up on this a little bit because without McCullers, I don't know that the pitching is as much. I, McCullers to me is a key part of that. I, I, I mean, I'll just ask you, like, I, it's not like they don't have Luis Garcia. They don't have other guys. But McCullers, to He's me, huge. if you take, huge. You take yeah. McCullers out of it, and I don't know because the thing that I'm interested to see for the Red Sox is 
was that Nick Pavetta? And that as a Haley's comment, like one moment, or has Nick Pavetta now a guy who you really can count on to just shove for multiple innings at a time? Because if that's the case, that's another key guy. They've got Garrett Whitlock back. They have kind of their, their pitching staff, which to me looked really shaky if we were talking in early September. I feel like here in October, the Red Sox pitching staff is maybe better than I thought it was going to be. They have more guys who they can really count on to get outs, or at least they seem to in that Rays series and at the, the last week of the regular season to go with, okay, this is, we are clearly in a Nate Eovaldi here, let me just show my Superman, you know, it's the postseason type moment as well for him. That's where I don't think, I, I still think I agree the Astros are the better team, but maybe those margins, you take the colors out, you talk about right now where some of these Red Sox pitchers are at this moment, maybe it's less of a difference than I thought it was a week ago. I think really one of the biggest keys in this series is going to be Chris Sale, who started game one for the Red Sox. Sale came back from Tommy John surgery and actually got off to a pretty decent start his first few starts. But his final start of the season with the Red Sox needing to win did not go well. Made only through two and a third innings against the Nationals. Got some strikeouts, but gave up four hits, two runs, three walks. Did not go deep. Followed that up by really, really, really struggling in his start against the Rays in game two. Only got through one inning, gave up five runs. So if Chris Sale is not even Pete Chris Sale, but just the Chris Sale, those first few starts after coming back from Tommy John surgery, that will go a long way for the Red Sox. If he's the Chris Sale who pitched the season finale and in game two of the ALDS, that's going to set the Red Sox back a little bit. I agree. You look at the game two starting pitching matchup, Nate Uvalde versus Luis Garcia. You say, yeah, edge Red Sox there. No question about it. But game one, seeing what Chris Sale is able to give the Red Sox, I think will go a long way toward dictating how this series plays out. And as we get deeper into it, again, there's no question. You lose Lance McCullers. It's a huge, huge blow. Do you believe Nick Pavetta can repeat what he did? I think Nick Pavetta frustrating people has been the story of his career, showing flashes where you think, ooh, maybe it's finally happening, and then it just doesn't happen. Tanner Houck has been really, really good this season. I think that's actually a guy who – He's kind of not getting talked about enough. He had a pretty, pretty important long relief outing for the Red Sox as well during that series. On the whole, I do see this as two teams whose pitching staffs are a little bit questionable. And at the end of the day, two offenses who are going to have plenty of chances to feast. And ultimately, I think the Astros offense is just a little bit better. So that's why I'm picking them. But the big X factor here is Chris Sale. If he goes out in game one, like his former self, and then the Red Sox throw Nate Uvalde, all of a sudden there's a very good chance they're up 2-0 going back to Boston. That could absolutely change the dynamic of this series. Well, the, the key thing about it is, is I think you hit on, Hauke is a great guy to point out. Like, the, I look at this Red Sox team, you're right. Sale is the key part of this because you know you're going to be counting on Eovaldi. You really know you're going to be counting on Hauke and Whitlock. You hope that you're going to be counting on Pavetta. And Eduardo Rodriguez, you feel a little better about where he is right now. He had a very solid season, but coming off of a really strong second outing in that ALDS after a poor first one. They have some guys, but you hit it. This Astros lineup means you can get five innings from a starter in this Astros lineup. You've done a great job because they are going to absolutely positively 
make you work every at bat, every inning. And so if Chris Sale gives them four good innings, that may be it. Like he may, because you just watch Jordan Alvarez, you watch Alex Bregman, you watch these guys all the way, Kyle Tucker, Yuli Gurriel, Carlos Correa. They grind at bats. The Red Sox have guys who grind at bats as well. But the ability of those guys to grind at bats just wears you out and just means that you're going to have to go to the pen probably a little earlier than you want a lot of games. We saw that in the White Sox series. And you're probably going to have innings where it's like, why is it taking 38, 40 pitches to get through this inning and we haven't even given up a run? It's like, because these guys are really good professional hitters. And you just see that inning after inning after inning. My question is, is, is this Red Sox lineup, which, by the way, is really good as well and has some depth to it, are they going to be able to grind out similar quality of at-bats against the Astros? We're going to find out. I mean, there's no question. There are certainly some guys who quality of at-bats is not their strength. Bobby Dahlbeck, Hunter Renfro at times, though he was better this year, especially against right-handers. Here's how I would describe my thoughts on this series. I am picking the Astros to win. Let's call it six games. I do not think the Red Sox winning would represent an all-time shocker. I think the Astros, this offense is just so good and so deep. Ultimately, that's going to give them enough of an edge to advance. How about you? What's your pick? Yeah, Astros. Um, I, I do think, but again, this is, we are at the point now, I'm, I'm for one, Brewers Rays here was my first pick. So uh, if you're listening to this, you're like, oh, JJ got it wrong. Well, yeah, you know, I got it really wrong. None of my teams are left. Um, but I, this is close enough. As we said going into this postseason, I remember on our first podcast, we said there are no pretenders in this postseason. I really felt like that being the case, you could make cases for anything. I think I said at the time, I'm not saying the Red Sox are as good as the Dodgers or the Giants or the Astros or, but, or the Rays, but I can see them winning it. I can see that with many of these teams. That flips it to the National League, I think, where same thing. Are the Dodgers better than the Braves? Yeah. Why do we know this? They played a 162-game schedule, and this isn't within the margin of error. This is not something where you say with the Giants and Dodgers and you say, Yes, the Giants won the division, but a, a check swing here, a check swing there is the difference. The Braves were not as good as the Dodgers this year. That said, I'll construct my case for the NL champion Atlanta Braves pretty easily, which is Max Fried, Ian Anderson, Charlie Morton, guys like that going out, and matching or exceeding what the Dodgers get from their excellent rotation. And on top of that, a really solid Braves lineup that has pieced it together with pieces that shouldn't be as good as they do. But, okay, I'll say that Jocktober ends up getting in a couple of situations, and Jocktober hits a couple of homers. You could see the scenario. I'm going to pick the Dodgers because the Dodgers, I do think, are a better team the Dodgers are deeper. The Dodgers have more depth. The Dodgers have more stars. All those things. But it's, it's a 55-45 split to me, Dodgers-Braves. I don't know about what do you think, Kyle. 
Well, one thing to keep in mind is I think it's very easy to look at the overall standings of the season and just say, oh, yeah, two completely different tiers of teams. The Dodgers won 106 games. The Braves won 88. But as we talked about a few days ago, this Braves team has been very, very, very good the last two plus months. After August 1st, they had the third best record in all of baseball behind only the Dodgers and Giants. So this is a team that's been playing at a very high level for two months now, really two and a half months. And I don't think you want to discount them. And the other thing that's going to give them a benefit here is the Dodgers are coming a little wiped. They had some games where they had to use a lot of pitchers against the Giants. They're on the road. They're flying today. They have to go open in Atlanta on Saturday. The Braves are fresh. I mean, they took care of business. They're home. They're in a much more rested position than the Dodgers are right now with their pitching staff and just general fatigue. So that is an advantage, and I don't think it's something that should be completely discounted. This is a series where, yes, I will pick the Dodgers. I think, like you, they're just the better team. But I do think the way this series worked out, if you're the Braves, you are so happy that this went five and that it was the Dodgers who won because now you have home field and you're getting a tired team traveling across the country on one day's rest. That's a really good position for the Braves to be in. The Dodgers have to figure out who they're going to throw in game one. They've talked about it being Scherzer. And if you're the Braves, that's the only time you say, ooh, yay, we get Max Scherzer, given you know he's going to be coming off this relief appearance. So the dynamic of the series is fascinating to me. Again, I'm going to pick the Dodgers, but I actually think if you're the Braves, this is the best possible scenario for what you could have faced once you knew you were advancing to the NLCS. And I think they're in a pretty advantageous position. That 55-45 split you gave, I actually don't think that's far off, which on the surface might seem crazy when you look at a team that won 106 games versus a team that won 88. But just the way the Braves have been playing and the way that this playoffs have played out, things have been turning up Braves a lot. I agree. And the other interesting thing to see is, is how does the, I have not seen it come. Maybe you have, I don't think it's been announced yet how the Braves rotation is going to line up, but are they going to bring Charlie Morton back in game two? Or are they going to hold off the game three for him, which will be interesting to see as well. Again, the advantages of rest, they don't necessarily need to make that decision. They could almost kind of say, let's see how game one goes, because if we win game one, then maybe we can give Morton an extra day of rest. Yeah, officially, nothing has been announced yet. You know Max Fried is going to go game one. Whether you go Ian Anderson, Charlie Morton three, back at Dodger Stadium, it'll be interesting. We'll see what decisions they make, but I think these are going to be two very exciting series. I'm picking Dodgers-Astros, which will then lead to everyone being inundated with sign-stealing and revenge stories, but I will not be shocked if it's Red Sox and Braves. I think both the Red Sox and Braves have a better chance than maybe they're giving credit same here. I completely agree with you. This is not um, – uh, these are there are no pretenders here. The Braves are a better team than the number of wins they have because the Braves had to essentially retool after significant injuries, and they did so. And they're a better team now than the team that won – that played in June and July. So if I look at that, I say they absolutely can beat the Dodgers. The Red Sox are a better team – than they were in June or July as well. This is These are teams who got better at the trade deadline. Schwarber has been a big addition to the Red Sox. But not just that, but it's just not Schwarber. It's also having guys like Pavetta and all who've been solid taking steps forward. I'm going to go with the same thing. Astros, Dodgers, although as I just laid out, I really don't want it to be Astros, Dodgers because I don't. I just am 
I'm not making light of it. I'm not discounting it. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying I don't want to spend the last week and a half of October talking about, or not talking, being unable to avoid dissections of what happened in 2017 and 2018 and all again. I will say, if that happens, you know the Dodgers want another shot at them. You know Dave Roberts and Corey Seager and Cody Bellinger and all the guys who were there on that 2017 team definitely want another shot at them. So we'll see what happens. But uh, the division series and the wildcard games, it's been a great postseason so far. We're looking forward to continuing here in the NLCS and ALCS. This has been another edition of the Baseball America Playoff Podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.